0: Welcome to episode 14 of From the Front Porch, conversations on books, small business, and life in the South. I'm Annie Jones, co-owner of The Bookshelf in downtown Thomasville, Georgia, and I'm joined today by my business partner and friend, Katie Chastain. Today we're talking about Harper Lee's new book, Go Set a Watchman, and what makes a southern town become a literary mecca. Let's get started. Hey, Annie, welcome back. You've been
1: in Asheville at the Booksellers Winter Institute. I want to hear a little bit about that before we get started.
0: Yeah, it was um, my first booksellers conference, um, and it was way more fun than those legal conferences I used to have to go to with my previous job. Um, It was amazing to be just in a hotel full of booksellers. They're a rowdy crowd, huh? Man, they're a boozy (laughs) bunch. Like, bunch of boozy book nerds. (laughs) Nothing like it is there. It is so, it was so unique. I just, I don't think I was quite mentally prepared um, for that. But it was really fun when you work in a small business your business feels small uh-huh. and your world feels small. And then to go to a booksellers conference and to see 500 bookstores represented and all talking about, you know, small business and minimum wage and all the things that affect small business and Amazon. And it was just really neat to realize, Oh yeah, I'm a part of this much bigger culture. Yeah. Um, and so that was really, that was a really great experience. And I learned a lot, um, Learned a lot about Independent Bookstore Day, which is coming up on May 2nd. So um, be looking for more information about that. I think we're going to do some fun things at the shop. So uh, it was a really great experience. And I'm sad that that's the first one I'd ever been to. Um, Uh But because it was in Asheville, uh, not too terribly far from where we are in Thomasville, uh, it was drivable, and so we were able to go. Jordan tagged along. um, It was a really – what a great town, too. I had not been to Asheville. Um, So it was really – a great experience all around. Had a good time. Well, cool.
1: Okay, so today we're talking about Go at a Watchman and yes. Harper Lee's new book. So those of us that are a little outside of the book world now yes. and that didn't just go to a booksellers <laughs> conference, give us the inside scoop. I want to hear what's going yes. on. What's
0: all us. Well, all the controversy that you see in newspapers and on the Internet is true to how the book world feels about it, I think. I think booksellers are really excited because this is pretty much guaranteed sales. Uh Um, pretty, you know, everybody's thrilled. There were a couple of pretty disgruntled, um, booksellers who specifically were upset with Harper Collins for allowing Amazon to go ahead and pre do pre-orders. Um, but you know, what did you think? Was, I don't. Yeah. I don't know. What did you think it was, was going to do? Um, and we are all taking pre-orders. So the bookshelf is taking pre-orders. We've got our list started. Um, so, I'm on it. <laughs> yes, you're on it. I'm on it. Um, we've got actually about twenty folks, I think, who have pre-ordered their copies so a plug if you want to pre-order copies of Ghost at a watchman give us a call at the shop or visit our website and we'll be happy to hook you up um and now
1: i'll say i'm not usually a pre-order but this one i think is important and the first edition thing is big with people and i don't yeah. know where bookstores will fall it seemed like
0: they're kind of doing a limited yeah they're doing a two million print run up front i imagine of course that they will reprint right um but if you want you know hopefully guaranteed first, first edition, I'd, I'd pre-order this one. Yeah. Um, we're going to order, I had already ordered some copies for the store to come in July, but I'll probably bump that up now. Um, because the store is certainly a buzz about it. Um, but maybe not even as much as I thought, you know, I thought customers would be
1: coming in talking about it. I don't think people know yet. Yeah. I think you have to be pretty, I mean, yeah, you know, I I think we're still in our bubble that. I don't think everybody knows yet. No,
0: I put it in our store email this past week, and that generated a little bit of conversation via email. I got some okay. emails from some interested folks. But, um, yeah, the the controversy, I guess, or the um, confusion seems to be both in the bookseller world and just in general about Harper Lee being 88 years old. She practically swore she would not publish right um, before her death and uh, publish again before her death. And so I think people, you know, there was a Slate article published last week that kind of called people out and said, you shouldn't even buy this book. You shouldn't uh-huh. even, um, order this book, which of course as a bookseller and as a reader, I'm going to read the book and I, and now, I know why, what's the point it. of not, um, they just, I, this, the writer of the Slate article, which I'll post in our show notes, um, was specifically talking about Harper Collins taking advantage of Harper Lee. Oh. And, um... (laughs) What an unfortunate name. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Um, And because this is going to be a huge moneymaker for Harper Collins in a world that, let's face it, isn't exactly rolling in the dough (laughs) anymore. Um, And even big books just don't get the same Yeah. same sales I think that books used to get and so um Slate the writer of this Slate article indicated you know this is a selfish decision and we're helping if we buy the book um you know I'm not quite sure what I think to be honest with you like every article I read I kind of feel a different direction Mm -hmm. um I read recently that reading books makes you more empathetic as a person. Mm-hmm. Studies show it makes you more empathetic. I think reading books has made me always see the different side of every argument, and that makes it really hard to fall down on any one particular side. And so I'm, I'm having some difficulty. Um, as somebody who has followed Harper Lee... Harper Lee's life a little bit, I'm finding it to be a little disconcerting. Um, I want to be excited. You think she
1: was taken advantage of?
0: I don't know. I, you know, so when, um, the documentary, there was a book that came out and then a documentary that accompanied it. Um, the documentary was called Hey Boo. Uh-huh. And it, um, interviewed all these political, historical, literary figures, um, talking about To Kill a Mockingbird. I think it was released on the 50th anniversary, and. Um, That documentary was so touching to me because it was, you know, my good friend Tom Brokaw being interviewed and Anna Quindlin and people talking about Harper Lee and how she had made an impact on their lives. And then one person I believe that shows up in the documentary repeatedly is Alice Lee, who's Harper Lee's sister and who acted as her spokesperson for years. Right. And, um... I was devastated earlier this fall because Alice Lee, um, was an attorney Mm -hmm. and Jordan and I felt a kinship to her because she kept track of all the Alabama County courthouses and she would memorize (laughs) them. So to make her memory sharp, she would Uh recite them to herself in order. Um, and so she was always really spunky in these interviews and she passed away in November at the age of 103. And that even though the idea of a 103 year old caregiver is bizarre to me, she did seem to take ownership a little bit of Harper Lee and kind of protect her. Uh-huh. And now that she's not around and Harper Lee doesn't seem to have any other family that you hear about, I could right. be wrong about that, but I don't. We don't ever get interviews from her other family members, so that the timing there is a little disconcerting yeah. because Alice died in November, and I think Tanya Carter, um, Harper Lee's attorney, found the manuscript in late fall, and so the timing just seems a little weird to me. Maybe I'm just being too Nancy Drew about it. But
1: yeah, so you're thinking maybe Alice either kept that hidden for a reason yeah. or, the, or didn't want it to be found yeah. for whatever reason. which
0: is total speculation. I mean, yeah. I, who knows? But but the timing does seem a little disconcerting, and as yeah. somebody, you know, well, I grew up around aging grandparents, and I... I don't know. My heart, I think, is a little torn about, oh, is this taking advantage of an older person who may not have all of their faculties? And there's some speculation in the town of Monroeville, which, do you know how big the population of Monroeville is? (laughs) No, tiny. Uh, Because, well, I don't. And I can't help but think, oh, the rumor mill in Monroeville. I just think of Thomasville. Uh And sometimes the... Rumors that get spread in Thomasville and I think, oh my gosh, I can't imagine. Because in Monroeville, you've got some of her friends coming out saying, this doesn't sound like Harper Lee. We haven't been allowed to see Harper Lee since a blank period of time. She, she's in an assisted living facility now. Um, but then you have her attorney did come out and give an interview to the New York Times and she was kind of blatant that this was Harper Lee's idea, like uh-huh. that she was not forced um, or coerced. And so you've definitely got different stories flying around and I can't help but think if the small Southern culture doesn't feed that. A little right. Bit. Um, but what about you? What do you think? Well, I don't,
1: so this whole, like, don't support Harper Collins. Right. Because they're selfish. It's a business. Right. Yes, they are selfish. I don't fault them for that. Right, and um, they're
0: trying to sell books and they're trying in a to world sell that can that doesn't buy books very much.
1: Yeah, so no, I don't fault them for that. It is interesting timing. You know, it makes me wonder, well, could it have been that maybe Alice wasn't maybe she was an overprotective <laughs> right? sister that was keeping something under wraps? I don't have huge expectations for this book. Oh, I don't either. Yeah, and I think (laughs) that's... Keep them low. Keep them low. (laughs) You know, I think it'll be interesting to read as um, literary history... Yes. ...like to give us more insight into the evolution of this great novel, To Kill a Mockingbird.
0: Right. But obviously... In itself, it was not a great novel. The editor rejected it. and 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 Harper took that. And she herself, I think, has been calling this the parent to To Kill a Mockingbird, so Uh not a sequel. And I've... You know, I talked to Jordan about it. Because To Kill a Mockingbird, which I know this is cliche, but I think it is my favorite book just of all time. It affected me as a teenager. I've gone to see the play. I, I love Atticus Finch, and I love Gregory Peck's portrayal of him. And so... Um, I feel like so many Americans like To Kill a Mockingbird is my own. Mm -hmm. And I certainly do not want to go into reading Ghosts at a Watchman with those kinds of expectations. Because this was clearly a book that her editor told her, hey, this is okay, but you know who's really great in this book? Scout. Uh And I'd love to see Scout's, you know, perspective as a kid. I mean, that's the conversation I envision having, Harper Lee having with her editor. Yeah. And so do I think this book is going to be the next great American novel? No. And that's a little bit why I do, I don't want people to read it and then start that, you know, that speculation of did Harper Lee really write to kill a mockingbird or did Truman Capote? Like, uh, Uh you know, that's where I'm like, Oh, let's just let everything lie. And just, you know, I'm not a person who needs sequels. Um, I was listening to another podcast the other day, um the popcast, I think it's called, and they were talking about sequels and Harper Lee kind of generated their discussion. I'm not a reader who has ever needed a sequel. Yeah. I you know, I think JK Rowling keeps um putting short stories or little snippets of Harry Potter out into the world and I don't read them. I uh-huh. I am completely fine with where I left them and yeah. left him and and I feel the same way about to Kill a Mockingbird, but I will be reading this book.
1: <laughs> so so I don't know. Yeah, so what's your prediction? What is a scout like as an adult?
0: Well, so it sounds like this book is going to take place during the Civil Rights Movement. Right. Uh, right. So uh, I think we're going to see Scout just as spunky as ever but maybe a little confused about her beloved hometown maybe. Maybe uh-huh. there's some racial tension in um how do you pronounce it, Make 'em? That's how I pronounce it. Okay. In Make okay. 'em. um that maybe she and ad Att- I don't know. I'd like to see her and Atticus bump heads a little bit over uh-huh. some things because I think Atticus is such the quintessential American hero in all the best to me um in all the best ways but I'd like to see him be a little flawed. Uhhuh. Um and and maybe he and his young daughter butt heads over this whole civil rights thing. But I don't know.
1: Yeah, I will I will be interested to see if some Atticus flaws come out. I yeah. Think. Um, I agree with that. You know, I wonder how much, um, scout reflects, uh, Harper Lee, you know, Harper Lee's dad was an attorney. And, right. Um, and, and Harper Lee went off to study law and I guess literature first and yeah. then went to get a law degree and ended up deciding just to pursue literature. Yeah. Um, but, uh, and she lived in the big city for a time and she lived I in think. the big, yes, yeah. she lived in, she went, lived in. Yeah, I, th- I think she went to Oxford for a little bit and then went to New York. Yeah. Um, so she did get away and come back. And um, and so, yeah, I guess I wonder how, how much of her Harper's influence will be scouted.
0: Yeah. Um, well, and I would love to see, you know, even, obviously I do think the novel will probably address some racial tension. I'd like also to see it address what it's like for a Southerner to come home. Uh-huh. Um, I think... That's a topic that sometimes we hear about, but it's kind of funny and it's portrayed as silly and yeah, PoDunk. You know, I think of Reese Witherspoon in Sweet Home Alabama and like, I'm sorry, is that PoDunk and silly? Yes. Uh, did I wish, you?
1: I wish you didn't knock that. Did
0: movie. you like that movie? No. Um, yeah, I love 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 that movie. I love Reese Witherspoon, but I I don't know about that movie. I it's very fun. It's a fun movie. Yes. But I don't see it as an accurate portrayal of. We can agree to disagree. (laughs) Southerners coming home. Um, But, so I would like to see the novel address some of that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, But, but again, I don't have super high expectations for it. Yeah. I think that's a safe place to be. Yeah.
1: Okay. Let's move to part two of this conversation because I think we're getting a little bit into um, a little bit of what make 'em was. Yes. That. Mm-hmm. made this story come out of Maycomb, mm-hmm. um which was similar to Monroeville. Yeah, I
0: definitely Harvard. think she based it on
1: yes, her story. Her, her hometown. hometown. Um, and so we were going to talk about what makes Southern literary cities, or even literary cities in general, it seems yeah. like there is some mix of stuff that... Makes great literature come out of it, so
0: yeah, and I do think we see that in southern cities a lot. And I don't know mm-hmm. if it's because we are southerners and because we are from this part of the country, but I feel like really great stories come out of the South, mm-hmm. um, and and classic American stories come out of the South. And I don't know if it's because of all the tension that we feel here as southerners, or that the tension of our history, um, but you know, I was in Asheville last weekend and all these people kept talking about <clears throat> Southern writers and they were talking about, um, Thomas Wolfe. Tom Wolf is mm-hmm. from Asheville. And so they have a lot of monuments and plaques up in his honor, kind of all over downtown Asheville. Um, and as a person raised in Tallahassee, Florida, which I don't think anyone would consider Southern. And yet I think that it is, it has Southern, mm-hmm. some Southern sensibilities. I was very confused because to me, Southern literature, I wouldn't even always put North Carolina as Southern literature. It's all very different to me. Uh Um, just like, I, you know, if you've lived in the South long enough, you know the difference among Southern accents mm-hmm. and that a Mississippi accent is different from Louisiana, from Alabama, etc. I think Southern literature is very different depending on what region of the country. And so there I was in Asheville and everybody was talking about its great literary history. And I do think it has, I mean, there's no arguing, it has great literary history. But as somebody from another part of the South, I was thinking, oh, but there are other there are other Southern cities with even more, Mm -hmm. I guess too, I went to college in Montgomery, Alabama and, um, Zelda Fitzgerald was from there. And yet you don't really hear Montgomery, Alabama listed as some great literary city. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, so that's where I'm torn a little bit. Like what makes a literary city? Because somebody who famously wrote there, Uh you know, came up out of it. Um, What I don't know. What are the distinctions?
1: Right. Because yeah, it seems like those cities that bear great writers. Um, some of it has to do with a lack of freedom, maybe, yeah. and this. Um, you you use the word tension, and I think that's definitely in there. Yeah. Um, but for instance, with Southern women, I think a lot of times. There's so much suppression and repression. Right. Um, and same w- and with the racial side of yeah. Southern literature and um, just this lack of freedom and, and coming up against barriers. And is that what makes a great story? Is that you have to come to a barrier and then overcome it?
0: Um, yeah, and be brave about it. Yeah. I think Southerners, to, I don't know, and maybe Southern women in particular. But you kind of have to be brave to put your story out there, too, because some of these southern cities were small southern towns Mm -hmm. at some point, Mm -hmm. and you've got these people who are writing stories, and you can't help but wonder, what did Monroeville really think about To Kill a Mockingbird when it first came out? What did the residents of Monroeville really think about Harper Lee? Right. Before it became a Pulitzer Prize-winning novel, and Mm -hmm. it just was a book that people started to read, what did Monroeville really think? Right. You know, um, What did the citizens of these small southern towns really think about their patron saints before they became patron saints?
1: Yeah, and it, yeah, it took maybe the rest of the country recognizing yeah. and appreciating it uh, before that happened, because I'm sure first putting words to it. I mean, it's like the subtext in the help, right? Yes, just right. Telling these stories that you're not allowed to tell. You're not no. supposed to tell those stories. No. Um, you know, there's certain things at a Southern dinner table you don't talk about, and they're everything that makes life interesting. Yeah. You know, it's the religion, it's the politics. Man, stick to the weather and, and your sick grandmother. Because right. Because once you get into religion and politics, right. you're
0: getting into some sticky subjects in Southerners Well, don't. and Southerners very much have this... Well, I mean, and I am one, so I don't want to. But there is some, like this facade, uh-huh. I think, that we put up at first, maybe. Um, whether it's Southern women and their face full of makeup, or uh-huh. their house always being put together, I don't know. I think there is something about things need to look just so, right? And writers kind of mess with that.
1: <laughs> yeah, and there's so much intrigue of what's behind right. perfection. So
0: because there's plenty, yeah, uh, you know, you know, there, everybody's got. So stories and secrets, and yeah, um, but southerners are really good about hiding them.
1: So, then let's take that a step further. So, if part of the um beauty of the south and part of what makes the south so ripe for literature is its um kind of underbelly, mm-hmm. um, the hidden underbelly of yeah. it, I feel like California is the exact opposite in that there's total freedom, all out in the open, you're all out in the <laughs> open. So, can you have um, great literature come out of extreme freedom too. I mean, I, I, am trying to think of like, um, of great writers that came out of California or, um, or if that's just not as interesting.
0: Right. Um, you know, I think, okay, so I could be wrong, but I feel like writers that come out of that part of the country, whether it's California or just, um, westward, uh their stories are more to me about the beautiful geography of that part of the country right you've got Mm -hmm. if I remember right you've got some really great road trip stories you've got Mm -hmm. um stories about place Uh and I think southern stories are inevitably about place but instead about of being about geography even though I I just finished um brown girl dreaming by Jacqueline Woodson and the parts of it that resonated with me were where she was describing South Carolina uh-huh. and the thick, wet air. And like the words she used, I thought, oh my gosh, yes, that is what mm-hmm. um, the South is like. But Southern literature to me is a little bit less about geography and more about character. Okay. And so I don't know. To me, the stories that came out of California or Nevada or these, the Western part of mm-hmm. our country, they seem to be about... Like the John the, Steinbeck. Yes, Beck. the beauty of that part of the country or the um, ruggedness of that mm-hmm. part of the country. The frontier mentality yeah, maybe, maybe I'm imagining that. But I, when I look back and think about the books I've read, um, like I think of Travels with Charlie is the one I'm thinking specifically of, which is um, where he takes this road trip with his dog, and I love that. Uh-huh. He kind of travels all over America, but what I remember is the West. And right. maybe that's because the West was at that point unfamiliar to me. I hadn't uh-huh. traveled very much over there. Um, but yeah, the, the sense of place of those novels, whereas Southern literature definitely has a sense of place, but the characters are so mm-hmm. strong. And if you live or work in the South for any period of time, you know we are a cast of characters. <laughs> I, right? right. <laughs> so I don't know. Interesting. Well, yeah, and so scenery
1: definitely makes a great literary city. Yeah. Um, you have to have some scenery. Um, I read an article about, um, yeah, what were some of these literary towns yes. in America outside. Of, you know, I think the big ones, you have New York and Paris and St. Right. Petersburg and Which Russia. is totally different. Totally different. I mean, yeah, the big city, you have a cauldron of stuff. But I think there are things that even a small town can do. Um, like just having places, to, a coffee shop or a bar right. where ideas are flowing and you can, yeah. you know... Um.
0: that was so, That's so funny. So one of the talks I heard in Asheville was um, Steve Johnson, and now I'm going to forget, but he has a show on PBS, um, it's and it's called um, either What Brought Us to Now, I think. I'll look it up. Um, but anyway... He started talking about... And I thought this was fascinating. Um, So he dabbles in history and science and literature and kind of brings them all together. And one of the things he mentioned was that um, you started to see rise out of London um, these uh, writers and artists as soon as... um, Caffeine. Yeah, caffeine started um, hitting you know, they started meeting in coffee shops and Mm -hmm. he talked about why that he led into that's why bookstores and third places are so important because that's where you can have these uncomfortable conversations. So you're talking about, you know, the Southern dinner table. I personally love when conversation gets to politics and history, um, but, or, you know, or religion, but I will say I have been at many a Southern table or dinner party, where that conversation gets uncomfortable fast, Mm -hmm. and it's because we're less willing to listen to each other, Mm -hmm. and we really just want to get our points across. And um, I don't think that happens as easily in a bookstore where you are surrounded by opposing views on practically every subject. Right. Um, and in bookstores and coffee shops, you're encouraged to have discussions about these things instead of debates. And Mm -hmm. I could be wrong about that. Um, but yes, I think Southern cities that really encourage that and offer places like that. I think about Oxford, Mississippi and, um,
1: Charleston,
0: uh, yes, Charleston and Savannah. You know Savannah's um, the childhood home of Flannery O'Connor, and I, mm-hmm. I love visiting her home and walking those streets and seeing what she might have seen. And mm-hmm. um, yeah, I, I definitely think having those—I don't know if you would call them big city concepts—but yeah. in a small town setting, I think that really cultivates this literary. Yeah. Um, Sensibility.
1: Well, I think that bodes well for both of our adopted hometowns, which five years ago, we didn't have any bars. (laughs) Right. Seven years ago, we didn't have any coffee shops. Right. And and now we have
0: one and several bars and one great coffee shop. And so... um, yeah, and if you go I into our so little awesome. coffee shop, um, Grassroots is busy all the time, yeah. and there are conversations happening there all the time, and I do think that's a good sign. Yeah. Um, and, you know, sweet. I think about Sweetgrass Dairy, and Jordan and I sometimes will wander in there in the evenings, and they are packed yeah. all the time. absolutely. And I hope that, yeah, that means that at least at a couple of those tables, some really fascinating conversations are happening.
1: Yeah, and a good bookstore. Yeah. <laughs> so keep I, that alive. Yeah, I hope so. I think that's on everybody's list of of what makes a literary city, in all honesty, is it's a good true. bookstore. And I, I do think that is a big part of it. And all the cities you listed, Asheville, Savannah, Austin, Texas, Washington, D.C., they all right. have a
0: great independent bookstore. And yeah, so, um, and I do think that's true about... You know, if you're if you are going to be a literary city, and I wonder sometimes. So I think about Montgomery, Mm -hmm. um, where I went to college, and there is no indie bookstore there. Um, There might be a small used bookstore downtown, if I recall, but no indie bookstore. And I think, well, who is cultivating then this spirit of conversation and literature? Mm -hmm. And if you don't have a bookstore, is that happening? Right. Um, You know, they. Last I checked, they don't. Their Barnes and Noble even closed. All they've got is a Books a Million. Well. Mm -hmm. which is it's so similar
1: to to the idea of having books in the home like having books in your town yes is it's a presence that if you don't have it the conversations might not be sparked the interests might not be Mm -hmm. um swayed and so going back to harper lee and to kill a mockingbird i read that at a very young age maybe second or third grade i mean Mm -hmm. shortly after i learned to read because it was in our house and because it was a conversation and it was like Ooh, everybody's talking about right. that. I, I wonder what this. that is about. Right. You know, and, and so similarly, a bookstore can spark those kinds of conversations or that kind of interest. So
0: yeah, absolutely. Right. Well, if you would like to join in on this conversation, we would love to hear what you have to say. Um, you can go to our store website, www.bookshelfthomasville.com, and click on the link to our podcast and leave us a comment or two. Uh, we are also on iTunes, um, so feel free to find us over there as well. Uh, you can also find us on Twitter at bookshelftville and Instagram at the same uh, same tag, and then Facebook.com slash BookshelfThomasville. Thanks, Katie. Thanks.